So the presentation is entitled Never Good Enough. Never Good Enough. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn me to Luke chapter 18, verse 9, is the opening text. Luke chapter 18, verse 9 is the opening text. So we were created to be loved and to be valued. Our heart longs for this and craves for it. But his love and worth we crave for was meant to be filled by God. And from our parents to stand in the place of God to make that conscious choice to choose God. But the problem happens when we, we don't receive this love and value from our parents and God, and thus we get, seek to find this love some other way, such as comparing ourselves with others. For this is the main reason why we often become judgmental and critical of others. You know, a young woman came to me and, um, who was married after my presentation. She wanted to talk with me. And she was on the edge of a divorce and she looked like a wreck. And she shared how her husband was very critical of her and always used to put her down. And her in-laws also used to put her down and um, just uh, make her feel that she wasn't doing a good job. And so she said that the act is so holy and they're always like doing good and doing good things for the church and doing good things for the school and it's doing a lot of good things. But she said that they were living a lie and that they weren't really being real and honest because, you know, behind the scenes they'll be drinking and smoking, but they're like doing a lot of good things for the church and for the school. And they actually put her down and made her feel like she's not good or good at all. And she said she felt like she was never good enough. Never good enough because never reach that standard that other people want you to reach. See, beloved, the solution for this critical and judgmental spirit is found in discovering God's love and value for us. For it is here that we find true healing. So as we take a look at the parable at the two worshipers today, may we experience through this story a new type of love. And let us pray. Father, as we begin, we pray for your presence and your Holy Spirit to teach us. And may we learn about your love. May we learn about our value. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke chapter 18, verse 9 in your Bibles. Who did Jesus tell this story to? Notice what the Bible says here. And the Bible says, And he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, one, number one, and number two, that they despised other people. So in other words, they had a self-righteousness about them, right? And number two is they actually felt that they were, you know, better than others because they actually looked down and despised other people. Now, first of all, these people were self-righteous. In other words, they felt that they were perfect. And because they felt that they were perfect, they felt they didn't need the righteousness of Jesus. Because if they had their own righteousness, then they're not going to seek to desire Jesus at all because they feel that they don't need any other righteousness. Therefore, people who are self-righteous feel no need of a Savior. They feel no need of outside righteousness. Therefore, they're not going to go to Jesus at all. And that's why self-righteousness can be very dangerous, right? Now, whenever we think that we can create our own righteousness, which is the righteousness of God, right? Because there's only one righteousness, which is the righteousness of God. We put ourselves in the place of God. Because if that's our righteousness, which is only God's, 
then we put ourselves in the place of God, and the person who puts themselves in the place of God actually becomes the Antichrist, right? Putting yourself in the place of God. And that's why self-righteousness is actually the spirit of the Antichrist or the spirit of the papacy. And we want the spirit of Christ, not the spirit of the Antichrist. What do you say? I want that. How about you? What do you say? Amen? Now, in this story, the Bible also says that these people also look down upon other people. Now, now who went to church to pray that day in the story that Jesus told? Luke chapter 18, verse 10. Notice the Bible says, the Bible says, two men went up to the temple to pray, or went to church to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, a Pharisee was a religious leader, right? And the Pharisee was actually one who actually did a lot of good works, we're going to find out. So it's actually more of a conservative leader within the church, a conservative religious leader. That's what this Pharisee was. And the other person that went to church that day was a publican. So this publican is another word for publican is a tax collector. So in this tax collector, he actually used to collect money from the Jews for the occupying Roman army. So do you think he was actually looked good upon by the Jewish people? No, he wasn't, right? He looked down upon. So actually the Roman government was his boss and they occupied the Jewish nation and Jews hated the Romans. And because the public had collected money from the Jews to the Romans, right? They were hated by the Jews. And so another that was actually corrupt because he was actually corrupt like Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? He stole money as a tax collector and he paid everyone back because he actually realized what he did was wrong. So in the same way, this uh, tax collector probably was corrupt just like Zacchaeus was. So not only was a tax collector, but he was corrupt. So it's kind of like today was a corrupt IRS agent who actually makes you pay more taxes and pockets the money or the corrupt bankers who were bailed out by the government and they pocketed the money and they got away with it and you were actually paid your own taxes money for him to get a good paycheck. So you have these two men coming to church. One was a religious leader and the other was a sinner. Both came to church to pray and from the outside, it looks as if the sinner needed the prayers of the religious leader, right, on the outside. But Jesus is going to tell us soon that he looks not as man looking, for God looks on the what? On the heart, right? For God's looking on the heart. So how did this Pharisee pray? Luke chapter 18, verse 11. Notice the Bible says here. Luke chapter 18, verse 11. The Bible says, The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector, right? So in other words, he was bragging, right? And he, started, he was putting down the other people and said, God, I'm so thankful. He started praying, like, God, I'm so thankful that I'm not like all these other people, right? There's all these wicked people out there, that the adulterers, these, you know, these wicked people. And even this tax collector over here, I'm glad, thank you, God, that I'm not like this. Is it good to be prideful? As I was said this morning, no. So the quotation here from, you know, Proverbs 16, 18, pride go before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, right? Christ's Object Lessons, page 154, says inside, um, from Ellen White, says, there is nothing so offensive to God or so dangerous to the human soul as pride and self-sufficiency. Of all sins, pride, it is the most hopeless the most incurable. 
So what is the most hopeless and curable sin there is out there? Pride, Pride right? 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not, what? Wise. So is it wise to compare ourselves with other people? No. So what was the Pharisee doing? He was comparing himself, right, with the publican or the, the tax collector, right? Now, why do you think that this Pharisee put down other people? Why do people put other people down, you think? Okay, they don't feel good about themselves, so they're putting down the other person, so what? That they can actually feel better about themselves, right? So this, um, in other words, to build up his self-worth. In other words, his self-worth is based upon how well he performs in comparison to others. In, a, in other words, the Pharisee's religion is totally based upon his performance, right? So that's what it's based upon. Now this Pharisee is judgmental and critical, and that's because he's this way, he is an, an abuser too. In this case, a spiritual abuser in the church. He's putting down, judging people, being critical, talking bad about them, psychologically abusing people. Do you think this could happen in our church today? <laughs> spiritual abusers in the church? Yeah. In this case, a spiritual abuser. Do you think this could um, happen in your own church? People looking down and putting down other people. The sad thing that happens when people do this is that their relationship with Christ ends up being destroyed whenever you put down other people. For if one has their own righteousness, then that would mean that they would never turn to Christ in his righteousness, right? Like we talked about earlier. Now, we can become like this Pharisee. We can, we can become like him and compare ourselves with the Pharisee, like the Pharisee is comparing himself with the sinner, we can be like the Pharisee and then beginning to actually compare ourselves with him and say, look, I will never become even like that Pharisee, right? So it can be dangerous that we can have that Pharisaical spirit just like the Pharisee and putting down someone else. When in fact, we're just like him. And that's the message that Leo this year has also today, right? So turn to verse 12, Luke chapter 18, verse 12. What else did this Pharisee do? Notice the Bible says, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. Not only did this Pharisee put down a sinner, but he also exalted himself by bragging about his good works, right? The first step was, he put down the, the public and the sinner, right? He put him down. So in other words, he lifted himself up by putting down someone else. So he's above the other person by putting someone else down. But not only that, but he started to actually exalt himself, right? I do this, I do that. So he lifts himself really, really, really high. So by doing that, he lifts himself doubly by putting down someone else and then lifting himself up. He goes doubly high because of what he's doing. And that's how so many, and he's doing this for the purpose so that he can actually feel better about himself, right? And that's what people do because they're looking for their self-worth to get it from actually comparing themselves with themselves. And that's what people do. That's why there's so much gossip. That's why people put down people, right? That's why all these people are, are just in a church and just criticizing and judging and doing all these things because they're looking for some type of self-worth by doing all this. And I've seen that, you know, in the mirror a time or two, right? <laughs> in my own self and being critical. Now, my next question is this. 
let's humanize this Pharisee. Let's make him human. So, in this story, why is he doing this? Why is this Pharisee hard-hearted? Why is he being mean? Why is he being critical? And if we understand this, we're going to understand why people are actually are being mean. So look at your handout on Testimonies, Volume 3, page 539. Notice what it says. The reason why there are so many hard-hearted men and women in our world is that true affection has been regarded as weakness and has been discouraged and repressed. And then it says here, the better part of the nature of persons of this class, the hard-hearted people, was perverted and dwarfed in where? Childhood, right? So in other words, the reason why there's hard-hearted people in the world and in the church is because something happened in their childhood, right, that made them this way, according to the spirit of prophecy, right? So the better part of this was in childhood. So it's, according to this quote, something must have happened to this Pharisee in his childhood, right, to make him how he currently is. Well, he felt worthless, right? That's why he's hard-hearted. That's why he's hurting all these people, because something happened to him as a child. In other words, when he was growing up, somebody was comparing him with somebody else and made him feel like really bad and put him down. In other words, they were saying to him like, you're good for nothing, right? They're telling him that. Or they tell him like, you can never do anything right. You ever heard that before? So in other words, this Pharisee is actually a real human being. He was put down as a child, and that's why he's hard-hearted. Why can't you be like your sister who's going to be a doctor, right, being compared? Or why don't you come to church like your brother does, right? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Why can't you be good enough for me to truly love you and give you my affection and approval? That's what basically... So in other words, he was raised in a home where he had to do something in order to get the praise of his parents, which was really a home of righteousness by works, right? Again, we have Christ of righteousness. So it was a righteousness by works. In other words, he didn't have the true love that he was longing for as a child. Because we all long for that, right? Amen? And so he's longing for that, but he didn't get it. And thus, you see, when this happens, you begin to think that you're never good enough. When you feel you're not good enough, that you can never be good enough for your parents, that you can't do this and you can't do that, that you seek approval from people or things in your life, disapprove to yourself and others that you're worth something because you never got that love to show, show you that, hey, you're worth something, you're valuable. So what you do is you start to do other things to prove to yourself and others that you are valuable. So you get a nicer car so that people will notice, right? It's just to feel better about yourself. Your self-worth will go up. You know, you get the latest iPhone, right? <laughs> Android, right? Whatever, to be up to date, just to feel better about yourself. You actually play sports really well, so people talk good about you, so just so that you can feel better about yourself. You get a bigger home out of your price range, right? Just so that you can feel better about yourself. You know, you sing at parties or at the church so you can get praises just to feel better about yourself. You get active at the church, so people say, hey, you're doing a great job, right? You, you know, you've got, God's really blessing you, just so you can feel better about yourself. Many times people actually go to work, they work very hard, they overwork themselves, just so they can say, hey, Johnny, you're doing a great job, you know? Get the praise, and you want that, so you can feel better about yourself, because you're getting it at work, when you're not getting it at home. And that's why people do that. So whether it's great, sports, accomplishments, or career, people use these things to fill the void in their heart for their value. And this really is the foundation is righteousness by works. That's what it really is. Now, what did the sinner do in the church? Look at Luke chapter 18, verse 13. You know what the Bible says? 
And the tax collector, standing afar off, the sinner, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, what? A sinner, a sinner, right? This sinner realized that he was a sinner. And it was this realization that made him truly humble before God, right? God showing his need and dependence upon God. Now, who do you think is the worst sinners out there in this world? What kind of sins do you think out there is part of the worst sins that you heard out there or is the worst sins out there? Murder? Huh? Sexual assault? Yeah, maybe rape? Um, people say homosexuality, right? Drug abuse? Alcohol abuse? But I want you to notice what the quotation here says on Steps of Christ, page 30. Notice what it says here. It says, God does not regard all sins as of equal magnitude. There are degrees of guilt in his estimation. So every sin is not equal in the eyes of God. Notice what it says here. The drunkard is despised and is told that his sin would exclude him from heaven. Now, drunkard can be seen from the outside. While pride on the inside, selfishness and covetousness too often go what? Unrebuilt. But these sins that are especially offensive to God. Notice what it says next. He who falls into some of the grossest sins may feel a sense of his shame and poverty and his need of the grace of Christ. But pride feels no need, and so it closes the heart against Christ and the infinite blessings he came to give. So, you know, you, we may look at the grossest sins like homosexuality and rape and murder as like it's like the worst sins, but actually the Bible says, the Spirit of Prophecy also says that the worst sins are actually the, the sins that you cannot see, the sins of the heart, of pride, selfishness, you know, these covetousness are the worst sins. Now, do you think the Pharisee had true repentance in the story in Luke chapter 18? Do you think he had true repentance? When he was praying to God? No. Do you think that the, the sinner had true repentance? Yeah, he had true repentance, right? So, why do you think that the sinner had true repentance? <laughs> why do you think that the sinner actually had true repentance? What was it you think? What brings someone to actually have repentance? Okay, so worthlessness. Okay, good. Now, what is it that, what does the Bible say brings us to repentance again? <laughs> Okay, God's what? Goodness. goodness. So, so Romans chapter 2, verse 4, right? It is the goodness of God leads us to right? repentance. So somehow, this publican, this sinner, somehow he repented only because he must have felt or realized or saw, right? The goodness of God somewhere. Where the Pharisee, he didn't see the goodness of God. So somehow, and they're, and they're church, church goers at this time, right? So actually the sinner... They didn't see God's goodness. So somehow in the church, right, the, the sinner, I'm sorry, the sinner saw God's goodness and repented. But somehow the church leader at this time was not able to see God's goodness, right? And that's why he didn't repent. He didn't have a repentance to be repented of. And could it be possible today in our churches that the, maybe that just like this Pharisee, there are church leaders in a church, elders or whatever, deacons, deaconess, whatever, out there who are not able to see God's goodness out there in the churches. And yet it's actually the sinners who actually see God's goodness and they experience true repentance in the churches, 
But the church leadership are the ones who had never experienced true conversion. Could that be possible, like this story? That's possible, totally possible. And so God wants us to have a religion of our heart and not just on the outside. And the sad thing is that it's so easy to judge this sinner because on the outside, like otherwise said the drunkard, they look very evil and corrupt. But God looks on the inside of the heart and he knew that actually he was sincere on the inside while the Pharisee actually was not sincere and didn't receive God's goodness and actually repent. That's why we need a revival in our churches today to see a different picture of God's character. I want to help out you. What do you say? Amen? And that's why it said, um, Moses prayed that prayer, right? Lord, show me your what? Glory. And God's glory is his what? Character. Show me a character. Show me who you really are. Because if I were to see your character of love, I would see your goodness, and then I would be brought to repentance. And that is what the prayer that actually this Pharisee actually needed to have. And that's the same prayer that I need to have. How about you? What do you say? Amen? So, turn to verse 14. In Luke chapter 18, verse 14, who ended up being justified? That's what it says here. Luke chapter 18, verse 14. The Bible says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humble, and he who humbles himself will be what? exalted. The sinner was humble. The sinner was broken, transparent, and real. And that's what we need. What do you say? Huh? Amen? Now I want you to notice that it was the sinner's prayer and not the church leader's prayer that was answered. Right? I also want you to notice that it was the sinner not the church leader that was justified or made righteous or actually who was saved and not the church leader. In other words, in comparison, the gay rights homosexual who was repentant was saved, right? While the church going elder was lost. The abortion performing physician who was repentant was saved, while the prideful pastor was lost. The fornicating adulterer who was repentant was saved, while the self righteous church member was lost. And those are the says in Testimonies, Volume 7, page 17. Nothing is apparently more helpless yet really more invincible than the soul that feels its what? Nothingness and relies wholly on the merits of the Savior. What do you say? Amen? And that's what the sinner had in his heart. On the outside, you know, he was a sinner and needed to repent, but on the inside, he had a heart that was hungering and longing for God and he wanted to experience that salvation. And he was broken and he was helpless and he felt he was nothing, and that was really invincible to God. Do you think that we could be looking at attending church, paying our tithe, and eating healthy as being righteousness? Do you think that could be a danger in our churches today? You know, if I can just do this, and do this, and do this, and all of a sudden, then that's righteousness. Well, at the same time, could be, we could be doing like paying our tithe, and going to church, and eating healthy. At the same time, it could be neglecting to be humble and broken before God. Do you think that could be possible too? So God wants to do is He wants to actually change our hearts from the inside out rather from the outside in. And I want that. How about you? What do you say? Amen? So, do you think that we could be comparing ourselves with others or looking for others' approval just to fill the void of a low self-worth also? Like our self-worth. See, the Pharisee here, we learn as a child, he was 
you know, he was never good enough, you know, like, why can't you do this right? Why can't you do that right? Why can't you be like your sister, you know, who goes to church? Why can't you, you know, be like your brother who's going to be a physical therapist? I mean, why can't you do this? Why can't you fix the car right with like your oldest brother? I mean, it's been, always been compared and compared. And so this Pharisee felt like, man, man, I can never be good enough. And so he was raised that way, right? As you learned Ellen White. He was, as a child, he was dwarfed in childhood. And because it was this way, then now he became a leader in the church now. And as a leader in the church, now as a, as a, a church leader, as a Pharisee, he began to put down the other church members because that's how his dad treated him. I want to humanize the Pharisee. So he's trying to get his self-worth the same way, you know, as a child. He felt that he wasn't loved by his dad, and the only way he was worth anything was if he did something, performed something. And so when he came to church, now it became a performance religion again. If I perform right by paying my tithe, perform right by going to church, perform right by eating a certain way, if I can just perform this right, I'm not only going to get approval from my fellow church members, but I'm going to get approval from God. And that's righteousness by works. And so his theology was messed up by how he's raised up as a child. His theology was messed up by how he's raised up in his own family, by his own parents. And like other one says, that he was hard. Other one says, you're hard-hearted because of the way that you were dwarfed in childhood, right? Our childhood affects how you and I are today. And that's why we need to heal from our past and break from the chains from our past, the sins that are passed down to the third and fourth generations, so that actually we can be set free. And you can be free indeed, because the truth can set you free. What do you say, amen? And God will heal us of our past. And then we can break the chain and the cycle in our families and help our children and our family and our friends to heal. You know, that's what I suffered as a child growing up. Um, just a low self-worth. And I guess in my parents, you know, they also expected high expectations. My brother became a doctor. And I guess even more so, he excelled as not only being a doctor, but he got hired and worked at Harvard Medical School, teaching medical students at Harvard Medical School. So, I mean, you can't get higher than that, right? So I'm like, how do you compare or compete against a brother like that, right? You can never be good enough, right? So here I am, I guess, having self-worth issues because, you know, because I haven't received that love from my dad that I've always wanted and desired for my dad to get that love from my dad. And so I remember going to college and just dressing really nice in style and the latest fashion so I can, you know, get my self-worth by people's praises. You know, if people can praise you, like, wow, you dress nice, it makes you feel good and I get my self-worth based upon how people praise me, right? That's how I got my self-worth. Popularity, if you can be popular enough, then people praise you for being popular. All they want to be with you. You get your self-worth based upon popularity. And I remember, you know, it's playing sports. You play sports really well, and then people look up to you and, oh, man, you, got, you, know, you can play really good. Basketball, you're really good. You know, I mean, you can, they talk that way. You feel good about yourself. You get your self-worth from that, the praises of other people. And I really was into the club scene and just going nightclubbing and dancing. And because of that, I'm getting the praise of, you know, you can dance, you know, hip-hop really good. Because, because you can do all those things, I'm getting my self-worth, my worth from what other people say about me. And then I got to put down other people, right? Because I'm better than them, in, them in, in a certain dance move, right? Or, you know, we battle them out and we won. I mean, you want to compete and compare so you can actually feel better about yourself, right? And then um, your career, doing good is whatever your occupation that you did, or schooling, 
or even your success, whatever it is, you're doing things to get yourself to work. And that's why people do things. And that's what it's almost like this whole world is running upon impressing people to get the praises of people so that they can actually feel better about themselves. They're trying to gain the self-worth because they never gained that love and acceptance as a child growing up. And that's what God wants us to experience something different. And so I do anything to gain my self-worth my dad, and I still remember the story. And I just started working, and um, I wanted to get a car. I needed a car to go work. So I went to the bank, applied for a loan. And I, because I had just started my job, I couldn't get a loan because my credit wasn't good enough. You know, I just started a job. You had to work a certain amount of at least several months or something. I just started like a month or something. I just started less than a month few weeks, my credit score wasn't good enough for that. So here I am, I realized that Lisa, I'm sorry, you're going to have someone to co-sign for you. So I said, okay, my dad. So I called my dad, hey dad, can you come down? You know, he wasn't too happy. <laughs> that he had to come down and co-sign, co-sign alone especially. So last minute, you know, I didn't plan with him, I just kind of called him up last minute. and. He finally came down and he came inside the office and he was going to sign it. He was going to sign it. You know, that was nice of him. But he's, remember, I'll never forget this. And he really came inside. As soon as he walked in, he looked at me in front of everyone. He said, what? Are you still not able to take care of yourself? <laughs> I was so ashamed, so embarrassed. And I felt like, well, my, you know, my self-worth just kind of plummeted right at that time. And it really hurt me that you know, he would say that to me. Anyway, as I became a minister, God began to heal my relationship. By, by the way, my, my dad and I, we never got along. We were very bitter. I was very angry at him. For, I hated him as far as I, I knew. I thought he hated me. But God began to like, reconcile us in our relationship and to heal that relationship. And as I was passing on the same island I came to, and I was uh, working with him, um, on that island, I was to pass by and stop at his house. And God started to heal our relationship and do a miracle in my family and my relationship with my dad. And heal the relationship I've always wanted with my, with my dad. And he started to do a work, started to work on my dad's heart. He got converted, he got baptized. That's a long story, but you know, God worked on his heart. And God to reconcile. We just spent hours talking and healing. And God reconciled our relationship. And I praise God for that. But not only that, you know, my dad used to say this to me after a while. I think he realized it. He realized that, you know, success in the world and external things was not the most important thing. And he said this to me one day. He said, you know, talking about my brothers and my sisters' successes in life. He said, what does it profit a man? He gained the whole world, but he loses his soul. And what I think my dad was saying to me is that, hey, look, you may not have the prestige of your brothers and sisters and all the careers that they're taking, but you're a minister of the Lord. And what does it profit you gain all the prestige in the world out there, but they all lose their soul? It's better you serving the Lord. And I knew that God had changed his heart, and he saw that things were different, that um, he saw that love was more important than even the external things of this world. And I thank God that God worked in his life. So there's a solution here. So turn to 1 Peter 1, verse 18 and 19. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 in your Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. And 19. Notice the Bible says here, what have we been redeemed with? So here we're looking at 
the low self-worth in our lives. And there is a solution. So what is a solution for low self-worth? And here's a solution. And this changed my life. And this totally transformed me and um, people I know also around me. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. What have we been redeemed with? Notice what the Bible says here. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. In other words, you were not bought or purchased with silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition of your fathers. In other words, you were not bought with money or any kind of precious things or anything out there. And I like to parallel with actually prestigious things out there or career or success or money or looks or sports or whatever. That's not what your value is from. Because what something is worth, right, is based upon how much someone is willing to pay for it, right? So, like you see this Bible here. How much do you think this Bible is worth? Not that I'm going to auction it, but <laughs> how much do you guys think this Bible is worth? How much do you think I bought it for? $30. Okay, 30. Okay, about $30. You think how many do you think this Bible is worth about $30? Yeah, okay. So, very good. It's pretty close, actually. It's really good. So, what if I told you, though, that, and I want to buy for $30, right? But what if I told you that my dad, right before he died, gave me this Bible? How much do you think this Bible is worth to me now? Priceless, right? It's not worth $30 anymore. It's based upon how much I'm willing to pay for them. And, and, you know, with that, I'll be wanting to pay whatever it takes to get it, right? So the value of something is worth how much you're willing to pay for something, right? In the same way, how much do you think you are worth, is the question, right? And the answer comes back again, how much someone is willing to what? Pay for you, right? Is your value, my value. How much am I worth? How much is willing somebody to pay for me? And the next question is, has anyone paid for me? Yes. Who? Jesus. And what did he pay for us? Did he give us a million dollars? Did he give us a billion dollars to buy you and me? What did he do to pay for us? He gave his life. And so the next question is this. How much is God worth? That's the next question, right? How much is God worth? A million dollars? A billion dollars? Infinite price? Now there's no price you can pay for the price of God, right? So God is worth infinity. God is worth a lot. So in other words, when God bought you, you're not bought with silver or gold, but you're bought with the redeemer, bought with the life of God, right? In other words, you are worth, right? You and I are worth the price of God. What do you say? Amen? So we're looking for self-worth, right? So in other words, you are worth, and God is worth so much. In other words, you are so much valuable in the sight of God. You're precious. You're beautiful. In God's eyes, you're wonderful. You're worth so much. That's why we should never doubt our self-worth. We should always be confident in God's love for us and know that God paid His life. In other words, you can walk with your head high and have this in your heart knowing that you do not have a low self-worth, but you have the high self-worth of being bought by the life of God. I want to believe that well in my heart. What about you? What do you say? Amen? And that's what God wants you to experience. So when you experience that, you can go forward knowing that you are worth the price of God. Notice this quotation from Ellen White. This is a powerful quotation from your youth instructor, January 25, 1910, paragraph 7. This is a powerful quote. And notice what she says here. Ellen White says, Jesus has revealed to you your value by the price he has paid for your redemption. What do you say? Amen? 
And that's why I see a lot of people today, they're struggling with their self-worth. They're struggling with their, how much their self-respect is. They're looking for things like sports to make them feel themselves better. They're looking for all the things out there, dress and fashion and even religion to make themselves feel better about themselves and even putting down people just like this Pharisee. But all we need to do is look to the cross and see God's love for us because when we see God's love for us, we're going to see the value of how much you and I are really worth in the eyes of God. And when that happens, you're going to be set free. You're going to have boldness. You know, when you're secure in the Father's love, God can do mighty things to you. And I've seen people who, who are not secure and they're very insecure in their parents because they never see their parents' love. And I've seen children who are secure in their parents' love and they walk with boldness and they're meeting people and they're very friendly out there because they're secure in their parents' love. But when they're not secure in their parents' love and they're never good enough, they're insecure and their self-worth goes down. And they come to church and they become critical and negative. And that's why the church is not a good place because it's a false understanding of actually Christ's our righteousness. And that would do a great work if we would just believe it. So don't ever doubt this self-worth. Now is the time for God's remnant church to see the love and salvation of God so that we will stop judging each other and thus truly love one another as God truly loves us. There was a young teenager who came to our school and she shared a story in her testimony after the school was done. And she said that when she was a little child, her older brother had died. And it came from, she was a... Um, Native Alaskan, First Nation, and she's sharing her testimony that when her older brother died, her and her sister were very young, one or two, but her mom and her dad had gone into deep depression. And so they began to drink a lot and just drown out their sorrows and medicate their pain through alcohol. And because of that, the CPS, Child Protective Services, or which is CWS today, they got involved and they actually ended up taking the whole family away from the, from the parents. And they were separated, so there was a kind of a large family where her and her sister were taken away, but they were put together and taken away, away from, so not only did they lose their older brother, but now they were taken away from their mom and dad. And she says she was so hurt and broken that not only that, but, but at the age of 11 years old, because of her mom's drinking habit, her mom died at the age of 11. So at the age of 11, her mom died and she was hurt. And she said she had been depressed and suicidal many, many times since then. She said she came to the school of the prophets that we had. And she later thanked me for showing her and said, what I really was blessed with this whole school. And the one thing that stood out, she said, that really helped me was this, she said. She said that she saw how valuable she was in the eyes of God. So when she saw how much she was worth in the eyes of God, that she was valuable, that she was precious, that she was actually worth something, she said, it helped her that, to take away the, the depression. It helped her take away from the, the low self-worth. It helped her take away from the low self-respect. It helped her take away the suicidal thoughts. Because before that, she felt she was worth nothing. You know, she's never good enough. In fact, she had no love for the parents. She wasn't secure in the father's love. But then she learned about there was a God who gave his life for you. And that you are so precious in God's eyes that He'll give His life that someone will really actually die for you 
that you're worth that much. And when she realized that somebody died for me, that I'm worth that much, when she realized that, her uh, low self-worth went up. Her suicidal thoughts went away. Her depression went away. And beloved, the same thing can happen to us. When we see God's love for us, God can do miracles in our lives and He can transform us. I want to be healed. What about you? What do you say? Amen? That's what the Pharisee needed. He needed to be healed. That's what many of us need to be healed, including myself. By His wounds, we are healed. By the wounds Jesus received on the cross, we are healed. Every solution for every problem is found at the cross of Calvary. For it was at the cross that the public can realize his self-worth. So let us lay low at the foot of the cross so that we can then realize that we were good enough in the eyes of God. I want them to see that. How about you? What do you say? Amen? Let us pray. Father, thank you that you see that we are worth it, that we are good enough, that you see us as precious and beautiful in your eyes. Lord, help us to be secure in the Father's love and to depend upon your love with all of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. And may you heal us of any broken wounds of past childhood pains. And inspiration says that if there's any hard-heartedness within us, may we go back to the root cause and be healed from that so we can reveal the love of God in our hearts to others who are hurting also. And use us to be lights to others and to heal in your precious name. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.